2016. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Polk Runyon, and tonight we will present the concluding chapter of the first volume of my inner plane fantasy novel, Adamson's Quest. This is titled The Library of the Ages, in which the hero Enoch Adamson, in his role as the fool of the tarot, finally reaches his goal, the Library of the Ages, which represents the Spear of Hod, at the upward terminus of the 31st path on the Tree of Life. And here, Adamson will meet his mentor and sponsor, Hermes Trismegistus, and receive the answers to his questions from a council of sages, including Jesus and Mary Magdalene, and even Niccolo Machiavelli, at a dinner party, which is modeled on Steve Allen's Meeting of the Minds format. Now, this novel was begun in 1973 when we first began to develop our capitalistic pathworking program. So, if you want to sit in on an interplane esoteric council meeting, join with us and be enlightened. Now, as you recall, last week we we gave a reading of the preceding chapter, chapter 11. Uh, that was Technopolis 2084, and in which Adamson uh, almost almost to the library, uh, uh, going up the 31st path, and he's gone through a number of adventures, uh, and he reaches this uh, this industrial complex in the city, uh, which is. Uh, supposedly in the future, it's 2084, and that, of course, uh, uh, harkens back to George Orwell's 1984. And uh, he and he gets processed into this uh, this uh, collectivist society, uh, which uh, has all of the uh, the earmarks of what Orwell was predicting in his original novel. And uh, along with some some uh, developments that have resulted from our from our technology, social media, and and uh, and uh, some of our problems that are unique to our society, uh, and uh, finally, uh, and Adamson gets uh, inducted into the army, and uh, and. <laughs> The army is uh, is engaged in uh, in trying to uh, to combat the uh, the mole crickets uh, that have invaded the non White House lawn. Now, of course, the, the this this is non America, and and uh, and uh, they call it non non America because they don't want uh, uh, the 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 the, the, the Political, economic political vehicle is actually the North, uh, the North American Free Trade Alliance, but uh, they call it North non non America, so so that the rest of the people in the Western Hemisphere won't think that we're the only America, and they call it the non White House because they don't want uh, people to think that uh, uh, that the, the White House necessarily uh, connotes the. Uh, uh, the white race and whatever, and uh, and uh, and then Adamson is inducted into the army, 
and they the army is is trying to drive uh, the mole crickets and the chinch bugs out of the out of the non White House lawn, and they're using nano tanks, tiny little tanks uh, that are that are uh, uh, and that are miniaturized uh, and driven by electronics, and and so the troops, uh, uh, the tank crews, have to sit at computers uh, in the in the war room and and uh, run the tanks. Um, and the problem, of course, is if 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 the bugs if the bugs overcome the tanks, uh, then then uh, the, the troops uh, running the tanks from the from the war room actually are traumatized at their at their computer stations, so you can have casualties. Well, anyway, Adamson um, Adamson to save uh, to save his his own skin in the tank he pulls the plug on this and gets and gets court martialed but it turns out that he's done a good thing and and it's it's uh, it, it, it's quite a, a complex situation and then and he finally uh, uh, ends up getting a getting a medal and and and, uh, and whatever and uh, and then he gets a job they give him a job with sex tech and he. <laughs> Uh, and he's doing virtual reality uh, because he's got military experience. And he's doing virtual reality uh, in the Arato Grotto, and, and uh, they have uh, this. Uh, this is um, uh, the 21st century uh, de- development of uh, of uh, virtual reality entertainment, and. So he and and his uh, his secretary uh, take a uh, an off road vehicle out into the desert uh, to have a, a liaison, and and they're all supposed to be wired up, and they're gonna they're gonna uh, create a a virtual reality uh, uh, sort of a sexual experience out in the out in the desert, which which they'll record that uh, that other people can enjoy, uh, but. Uh, Adamson is worried that that he's going to be assassinated uh, because of his involvement in this uh, this uh, situation with the with the tank and the White House and the non White House lawn. So he uh, he is very very paranoid about this, and he decides, however, it's a good chance to escape. So he takes his tarot outfit and, and sticks it in the in the uh, the, the off road vehicle, and off they go, uh, and. Oh gosh, uh, uh, they're going to have sex up on the rocks, and and uh, and uh, his, his secretary uh, wants to to uh, to insert this this uh, nano probe uh, this, uh, that they've given her to, to you know to Wi-Fi record her her inner her inner uh, sensations. Adamson's worried about it, so he soaks it in a glass of water, and he figures, well, all right, I guess it's okay. So he lets her, he lets her go ahead and use it, uh, and then, but then he realizes he has to go back to the truck because he has to turn on the uh, turn on the uh, the transmitter. And while he's back there, the poor girl blows up because it turns out that this probe is a nano nuke, and she blows up, and so uh, Adamson, you know, has. Uh, he figures, well, all right, well, that's sad, and, and, and uh, uh, but it's time for me to go, and he and, and he takes off with the truck and and heads back on his on his mission to reach the Library of the Ages, which is the which is the sphere of of, of Hod. 
and uh, where he's going to meet her mistress, Megasus, who started him off on the quest. Well, that that's basically what we what we read uh, last week, and, and if you want to catch up on that, you can go to the archives and and uh, listen to it, uh, or you can read it in the in the Green Ray, and uh, it's illustrated, and you can read it in the in the Green Seventh Ray. That's that's for Seventh Ray number three, which is available from Amazon. Or if you're an associate member, you've uh, got a discount coupon for it. And uh, uh, so, anyway, uh, so Adamson takes off, uh, heading toward the library across the desert, and uh, and uh, we'll pick up the story from there. The six-wheeler's compass held steady on a northwest course. And the big all-wheel drive vehicle rumbled along across the rocky desert plain. Adamson was looking for a bit of high ground that he could use for observation. The sky was clear, and he could see the horizon line far ahead. But if he could get a few hundred feet higher, he might be able, with binoculars, to glimpse the great library and set his course to it. Off to his left, he noticed a rise in the ground that sloped gently upward toward what appeared to be a steep drop-off into the into a ravine of a dried-up watercourse. And he turned toward it and began the rocky climb up to the crest. And he parked and got out. The afternoon sun was still blazing overhead. Kneeling and bracing himself against the front fender, he scanned the distant horizon with his binoculars. He detected a flash of light almost due west. A focus adjustment brought the bronze dome of the library into clarity. It seemed to float above the horizon on a flowing aerial river of heat waves. But it was not a mirage. It was exactly where the library was supposed to be and uh, where he would meet his mentor, Hermistress Megastus. Adamson cased his glasses, got back in the truck, and began maneuvering his way down the slope to resume his journey. While he drove, he ruminated over his experience in the future 2084 dystopia of non-America. How could his beloved country have ever turned into such a nightmare? Had he gone through a time warp and visited the future? Was non-America inevitable? Had the whole experience been a vision of things to come or a bad dream based on conditions that already existed? No more privacy, no more freedom of association or expression, no more freedom of thought. Everything George Orwell had warned us about in his novel, 1984, a worldwide conglomerate state that had declared war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength, and where history was rewritten every day, or what had brought this about. Orwell, who himself was a communist, had intended his 1984 to depict the eventual tyrannical culmination of Stalinism. But could we blame it on Stalin or Karl Marx or any man's political economic ideas? Maybe it went back to Plato. Or perhaps it resulted from technology outrunning both philosophy and religion and letting the worst of human nature take over. Hopefully, Hermes would have the answers, and the Library of the Ages would be the place to discover the truth about his country and about himself. Adamson had originally set out 
from the cellar beneath the old wizard's curio shop to discover the truth about himself, his manhood, and his destiny. Dressed in the costume of the fool of the tarot, he had been instructed to search for the feather of the phoenix, the horn of the unicorn, and the eye of the basilisk. Now, as the red ball of the sun began to sink toward the dark horizon, he came in sight of the 1,000-foot-high mesa topped by the great library. The ruddy light from our descending star still glinted on the bronze dome high above the dark pillar. That high above the dark pillar that seemed to be a geological twin of the Devil's Tower in Wyoming. Adamson felt a sense of awe creeping through him as he drove the last thousand yards to the base of the huge monolith. There was no road. He wound his way through a scatter of boulders and approached the huge foundation bulge of the great pillar. There seemed to be no way, no way up, and no and no way. There seemed to be no way in, no way up, and only a way around. And he decided to circle the base of the mesa, about halfway around. The circumference, he came to an an architectural feature carved into the bulging rock shoulder of the great stone tower. It was a flight of steps leading up to a ledge behind which loomed the great bas-relief sculpture of a nude human figure that was male on the right side and female on the left. The figure held up a weighing scale like depictions of the zodiacal sign Libra. A huge version of this scale hung down on a bronze chain from another ledge on the crest of the mesa high above. The bronze weighing plates hung only a foot above the stone floor on either side of the hermaphrodite sculpture. Adamson parked his vehicle beside the base of the steps, uncased his binoculars, and climbed out. With the glasses, he scanned upward, following the chain, up the rising rock face of the tower to the crest, where an ancient anchor winch was mounted on a protruding ledge over an arched entrance. The scales were obviously used as an elevator. But how, he wondered. He thought about consulting the instructions old Hermes had given him, the 23rd Psalm, as he recalled. But that prompted him to get back into his uniform before soldiering on. He stripped off his sextech jumpsuit and got back into his colorful Fool of the Tarot outfit, complete with the floppy beret and its long red feather. He searched the leather, he, he searched the leather wallet for the slip of parchment. The psalm was written in monkish calligraphy on one side, but on the reverse side were these cryptic lines. There is in man that which is womanly, and in woman that which is manly. So all tools should be thine in tasks of the art. And as God tells us, all souls are both male and female in their origin, but are separated by gender at birth the ghost of each remaining with the other until reunification in the sacred rite of marriage. Therefore, 
If you would rise upon the planes, you must balance the separated essences of each in your own personality. Enoch Adams unfolded the sheet of parchment and replaced it in the wallet. Taking up his serpentine staff, he stepped up on the bronze plate suspended before the male side of the sculpted figure. The plate descended with his weight to rest on the stone floor. He stared over at the other plate, now hanging two feet above the floor uh, of the landing. A shadowy form was beginning to take shape, a female form. As the form solidified, her plate sank down to the same level as his, achieving a perfect balance. He was looking across at the most beautiful woman he could ever have imagined. She wore only a sheer nightgown that enhanced rather than concealed her charms, and her luxurious blonde hair spilled over her shoulders in a golden wave, shimmering in the last light of the dying sun. She reminded him of his mother when he was a child, coming to tuck him in and hear his prayers before she kissed him goodnight. Then her hair turned to raven black, and she was Diane Lavana, whom he had vanquished as Medusa so long ago, the older woman who had initiated him in his youth. She was as tall as he was, inches under six feet. She had classic features, eyes that shaded from topaz to green, a creamy complexion, and a voluptuous figure, and that was hardly concealed by a costume that matched his own except for the skirt and leather outer corset over her linen blouse. Together, they might have passed for a brother and his sister at the Renaissance Pleasure Fair. They stood, each on a bronze plate, suspended on a chain harness, surveying each other up and down, their gazes finally meeting as they peered, peered each into the eyes of the other, asking unvoiced questions. Suddenly there was a snap, and consciousness was reversed. Adamson had the brief sensation of looking over at, him, at himself before his mind was flooded with different memories and perspectives. The man in the yellow boots and the green beret now seemed like a strange, like a stranger, familiar but unknown, perhaps even dangerous. He had been staring too long at her bosom before making eye contact. But then she reminded herself that she had selected and planned the outfit to show off her best features. And he was a good-looking guy, dangerous or not, and perhaps more fun even if he was a little dangerous, so perhaps she should be friendly. Hi, she said with a smile. There was another snap, and Adamson was himself again. Hello yourself, he replied, smiling over at her as... Uh, over, over at her as he or they felt the scales begin to rise. I guess we're going up, he added. She tucked her chin and looked up at him. Let's get together at the top, she said in a suggestive tone that reminded him of Mae West's famous line. Come up and see me sometime, big boy. They both hung to the chain harnesses as the scales ascended keeping eye contact and conversing. But when he spoke, he was himself, and when she answered, she was herself. And as the last light of day faded, 
They questioned each other about their lives and discovered that they both had identical backgrounds. He had seen his life and experiences from a male perspective, while she had viewed the same events, goals, accomplishments, and relationships from a female point of view. By the time the winch had reached the top, Adamson finally understood why he had never been able to like himself, much less love himself. It did not come from anything specific she had told him, but simply from knowing who she was and who he was. Near the top of the mesa, the scales ratcheted up into a cantilevered dock extending out from the ledge and an arched portal carved into the rock face of the great stone tower itself. Adamson and his lovely counterpart stepped off the scales and faced each other. She was even more beautiful in the flickering torchlight that illuminated the landing. She half-closed her eyes and moistened her lips with the tip of her tongue. He took her in his arms and kissed her, holding her close. I love you, he said. I love you too, she answered. He hugged her closer and tighter until he was only hugging himself. Phew, he was from a fully integrated and individuated consciousness. No wonder those crazy masked nudists from the Solar Logos College could never make it to the top. Night had fallen. The dock, the ledge, and the archway were lit by sconced torches. A flight of steps led upward through the archway. Adamson started to climb the stairway cautiously. It was littered with bones, human bones. And as he ascended, the human remains became less desiccated and more mummified. He picked his way upward through a tangle of kings and wizards and warlords in moldering robes and rusted armor with sightless eyes staring from withered faces, gnarled hands still clutching their scepters, their wands, and their swords. What had killed these mighty men, he wondered, and why had they died? As he came up into the outer courtyard of the great library, he saw the answer. Before him rose the huge circular building, topped with its brazen dome. On either side of the portico squatted the guardians, monolithic black basilisks with blazing red eyes. Between these formidable monsters were the great bronze doors to the library, which were cast with the same hermaphroditic bas-relief image that had been carved in the rock at the base of the pillar. The doors were divided down the center line of the image. The huge ebon creatures and the doors were illuminated by great flaming braziers. Above the door frame was an inscription that read, This is the Library of the Ages. Knowledge is power. Wisdom is fulfillment. No sooner had Adamson read this and the basilisk on his right growled at him. What do you seek? Wisdom, Adamson replied. The basilisk on his left directed what appeared to be red laser lines from his glowing eyes that converged on the all-seeing eye embroidered on Adamson's leather wallet. He speaks truly, the monster on the left declared. 
Then you may enter the library of the ages, both guardians rumbled in unison, as the great bronze doors behind them began to swing open. Adamson marched forward, entering the great rotunda of the library. Now he knew what had befallen the corpses littering the steps and why they had died. The vast interior of the library was awesome, ten stories high, with a great spiral staircase curling up through a succession of galleries or balconies, supported by columns, which were the statues of the great men and women of the ages or aeons, from the Paleolithic to the present, which each gallery represented. In the center, hanging down from the apex of the dome, like a huge candelabra, was a giant armillary sphere. Beneath this mechanical solar system was a circular pool or well, and in the marble floor surrounding, uh, it was surrounded by a wall. And on the far wall, next to the bottom of the staircase, was a vault-like niche containing a pedestal supporting a huge book. On the other side of the floor was a stairwell leading down to a basement, a sound of high-voltage electrical discharges accompanied by flashes of bluish light, and a faint smell of ozone came up from below. Adamson looked back to the galleries. The familiar figure of old Hermes Trismegistus in his hooded robe was coming down the steps to meet him. Well, you finally made it. We've been waiting for you, he said, shaking Adamson's hand. Who's we, Adamson asked. Oh, myself and the other supporting members of the council. Well, who are they? Oh, where where are they, he said. Where they should be, supporting the wisdom of the ages, the old man replied, waving his hand toward the galleries. I came down from the third level. That's uh, That's where I stay when I'm not running the shop. Adamson recalled that thrice greatest Hermes had told him that he was only in the shop when the gate to the interplanes was open. But it must be lonely being a statue most of the time. Oh, hardly. I have all my colleagues from Alexandria up there with me on the third level, and my lady Hypatia likes older men. We make a foursome with Jesus and Mary Magdalene. You'll join us at dinner. Well, that'll be great, Adamson agreed. But first, let me show you around the library. T.G., led his protege to the central well. The armillary was reflected on the surface of the water. As above, so below, T.G. explained, we call this the well of the worlds. You can see the past of any planet or body in our solar system. Let me show you Mars. The armillary rolled Mars into a mid-heaven position, and Adamson saw a reddish globe taking form in the mirror-like surface of the well. Well, let's have a closer look, T.G. said, and the globe expanded to fill the entire surface. Faint shreds of cloud drifted over the desert. That's too much atmosphere, Adamson commented. Well, not for the time period, Trismegistus corrected. Now look at this. Two large airships came into view. They were open-decked, prop-driven dirigibles. They were firing at each other with deck-mounted cannon. They closed like 18th-century men of war, grappled hulls together, and engaged in hand-to-hand combat on the decks thousands of feet above the Red Desert. Oh, now, wait a minute, Adamson interjected. This looks like a science fiction movie. I read this story when I was a kid. Hermes nodded. 
<clears throat> but the author had the wrong time period. He said his story in our 19th century. But when, uh, but what you're looking at happened nearly a million years ago. Then how did he know? Socrates said, we learn nothing. We only remember. Adamson said, you're telling me that earthly humans can remember ancient Mars? I'm not telling you anything. I'm only showing you something. Well, then show me what's down in the cellar. Oh, some other time. Einstein and Tesla are down there again bothering Tubal Cain, and we shouldn't interfere. Tubal Cain. Well, that's what the Freemasons call him. He's the old Canaanite god, Kusor. Yeah, the Greek of Hephaestus, Vulcan to the Romans. He runs our alchemy department. Uh, well, what's that big book on the pedestal over there, Adamson asked. Well, that's the book of fate. You're only allowed to read one page per visit, and you're better off not reading anything at all. What about my quest? I was to find the feather of the phoenix, the eye of the basilisk, and the horn of the unicorn. And so you did. Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, I made sure you would, so I sent them along with you, Hermes explained. Adamson shook his head, waggling the red feather on his cap. He tapped the floor with his serpentine staff and stared at the red pupil of the eye on the flap of his leather wallet. You made a fool of me, he sputtered. Yes, I did, but I taught you a lesson. Only a fool searches for what he already has. Well, have I been cured of all my ailments? Well, do you still have contemporary sociolitis? Uh, that was a 1970s set of problems. I think I've outgrown them, Adamson said. Oh, I thought you would. How about the ulcer and the headaches? Well, I haven't been bothered by those either. Did I outgrow them too? No, I think your change of diet had more to do with it. You haven't been eating junk food and processed food since you left, uh, left your middle world. You've simply detoxed yourself. No ulcer, no headaches. And now what more can we do for you here in the inner plains? Uh, you can answer a few questions about some new problems and hopefully uh, provide some solutions. Well, I'll do my best, Hermes offered. Is that non-American technopolis I escaped from a truthful projection of our future, Adamson queried? Well, if it was not, you would not have encountered it, Hermes uh, informed. Or well, do we have 65 more years before it arrives? Uh, 2084 was only a metaphor to connect it to Orwell's original prophecy, which was, as you recall, gave us 20 years. 2056 would have been a more accurate title for non-America. And most of it, unfortunately, would be in place by 2036. Well, who or what was originally responsible for this awful situation, Adamson thought. He, already, he thought he already knew the answer, but Hermes had a surprise for him. Christianity, the sage declared. We'll discuss this after dinner. Jesus and Mary have been keeping up with the situation, and they are just as upset about it as the rest of us. Dinner is at nine, and it's almost that now. Accompany me up to the banquet hall. It's on the first uh, century level. They wound their way up the spiral of the galleries past the Paleolithic, which was surprisingly civilized with its symbolic art, sculpture, proto-calligraphy, and astronomical notation. 
You don't have to be, you don't have to have agriculture to have civilization, Hermes muttered. A steady food supply at a single location is all you need. Humans have been civilized for 100,000 years. On the Neolithic level, they saw the beginnings of agriculture, pottery making, construction, shipbuilding, ore smelting, and written language. And on up through the early Bronze Age with its libraries of clay tablets and papyrus scrolls. On up until they reached the level of the first century, the common era, the Pax Romana. With its classical Roman and Greco-Egyptian motifs, its frescoes, its books, its devices, such as the astronomical computer and the astrolabe. Hermes led Adamson into the dining hall, where a long table with benches was set for a banquet. There were two thrones at the head of the table uh, for the host and the hostess. The, the benches were already filled with dinner guests. Adamson recognized some of them, or he thought he did. There was a Greek philosopher, a Roman general, an ancient blacksmith in a Masonic apron, sitting between a warrior goddess and a very strange-looking Egyptian pharaoh. The young American handed his staff to Hermes and took his seat on the bench in a place of honor at the head of the table directly across from his mentor, Hermes Trismegistus, stood up, gave three knocks on the floor with a serpentine staff. All the guests rose to their feet. This council board is now in session, the sage declared. Let us welcome our grand master and mistress, King Jesus and Queen Mary. A gong sounded, and the drapes behind the thrones parted to admit the royal couple. Adamson was frankly surprised to see that Jesus looked just the way he had seen him pictured in his childhood, with long brown hair, a well-trimmed beard, blue eyes, and Caucasian features. Mary Magdalene appeared much the same, but with red hair and green eyes. Both wore silk vestments over white robes, his red and hers blue. Electric and magnetic, Adamson thought. Jesus put his hands together in a prayerful gesture and then spread them wide to include all the guests. Bless you all in the name of Father El and Mother Azurite, and may they grant you love, peace, and plenty for all of your days and life everlasting beyond. He said, taking Mary's hand they both, as they both sat down. And so would it be, Hermes concluded, knocking once with the staff as a signal for all to resume their seats. Dinner was then served by youthful pages in white tunics. Adamson was surprised to find that the menu included no meats of any kind, not even poultry, only fish. And there was no bread, only fruits, nuts, and vegetables. There was wine, but no beer. I was expecting stuffed mice, Adamson said. That would be as toxic as your American hamburger, Hermes commented. Why no bread? As I recall, our host recommended it. Their host overheard his remark and replied, I was not the first of my lineage to fall for that Babylonian scam. And as you recall, my predecessor Melchizedek gave Abraham bread and wine as a sacrament. And I used them to represent the body and the blood of God. We all, we all make mistakes. An old gray-bearded Canaanite at the other end of the table interjected, I gave Abraham milk and honey. The bread and the wine was Ezra's rewrite. Well, thank you for the clarification, Venerable, Jesus acknowledged. I don't understand any of this, Adamson admitted. Well, I thought you Americans liked conspiracy theories, Adamson, Jesus said. This was the first big one. 7,000 years ago, the Anunnaki enslaved a large segment of the human race with bread and beer, while they continued to eat a healthy diet, 
until they themselves fell into their own trap. Read the first chapter of the book of Daniel. Uh, were the first Christians vegetarians? Yes. And my half-brother James carried on that aspect of our tradition, Jesus informed. Mary nodded. And in my Canaanite temple, animal sacrifice was forbidden. Oh, we not only drove the money changers out of my great-grandfather's temple, we released all the doves that they were selling as sacrificial offerings, Jesus added. King Herod was your great-grandfather? Well, that's why Pilate called me the king of the Jews. And why my cousin uh, Herod Antipas bribed him to have me crucified. Killing off your relatives is a family tradition with the Herodians. Well, that made sense, but Adamson was still confused. But didn't Jehovah demand animal sacrifice? Jesus put an arm around Mary's shoulders and drew her close. Now you come to the crux of the whole issue. Our Father in heaven was and is El of the Elohim. Wife of Asherah, queen of heaven, not Jehovah. He was the Hyksos god of war. But what about Moses? And he was the last leader of the Hyksos, Jesus replied. The conquerors of Egypt, Adamson asked. Yep, the very same. Joseph brought them in and Moses led them out. During the remainder of dinner... Adamson contemplated the revelations he had received. Everything he had learned as a child in Sunday school had been turned upside down. Now at least he had accomplished everything he had set out to resolve on his interplane journey, except understanding the evolutionary factors behind the awful nightmare world of 2084. And now he might, and how he might help prevent it from coming about. Hermes had promised that they would discuss that issue after dinner. When the dishes were cleared away, coffee was served, and some of the guests from later time periods uh, in more recent history began to smoke. Hermes stood and wrapped his staff again. Now to the major topic of discussion for tonight's gathering, young Enoch Adamson's impressions of the future of our American sociopolitical experiment. He wants to know how non-America came about, who was responsible, and what he and others like him can do to reverse the trends before Orwell's nightmare descends on the human race. Uh, so I yield the floor to Enoch. Ask your questions, my boy. Everyone here has had something to do with this situation. Enoch rose, bowed to Jesus and Mary, and faced the table. Thank you, gracious Lord and lady, and thank you, Father Hermes. My question is just, what do you mean by our American sociopolitical experiment? George Washington put down his clay pipe and answered, The United States of America was created by Freemasons as a republic on the ancient Roman model and structured to hopefully avoid the degradation and corruption that led to the fall of the Roman Empire. So you could say that America was a grand sociopolitical experiment. And I'm still trying to determine where we failed in our original planning. An Italian in Renaissance garb, Niccolo Machiavelli, answered him, You did not, uh, did not fail. Your constitution was a masterpiece. Then, but, but then most republics are well conceived. However, they carry within them the seeds of their own destruction. They accumulate 
expedient legislation as their leaders accumulate wealth and power. History has shown that they last no more than 200 years before they sink into some form of tyranny. Therefore, before that time arrives, a republic must reaffirm its original principles and purify its codes and policies or it is doomed to fail. Hermes had said that that most of the 2084 scenario would be in place by 2036, but Machiavelli was suggesting 1976. And Adamson had to admit to himself that much of the groundwork for the eventual Orwellian nightmare was in place by that date. He recalled the actor Ned Beatty's horrifying revelation of global corporate fascism in the 1976 film Network, written by Patty Chayefsky. Well, if America is a failed or failing experiment, who or what is responsible for the failure, Adamson asked. Jesus answered, I'm afraid I must take the blame, but not directly. My teachings, our teachings, he added, are looking to his consort. We advocated love, peace, charity, hope, and and mutual respect between all men and women. I had assumed the mantle of a long line of Savior and Redeemer gods, vegetation spirits, who promised to feed the hungry and make their souls seedlings for rebirth. And my Lady Mary was the last personification of the eternal goddess, the loving wife, the nurturing mother, and the enchanting maiden. We promised a better world here and a better world to come. This was the message that all the subjected and enslaved peoples of our first century world wanted to hear. And we were both sincere in our vision and our promise to humanity. We believed in what we were teaching. But those who followed us, Paul and the Emperor Constantine and a succession of Roman popes, saw our beautiful vision as a powerful drug with which to further subjugate and enslave humanity. When people finally freed themselves from the yoke of the medieval church, they rejected God and his religion, but they yearned, they still yearned for the original promise of Christianity. They transferred their loyalty to an atheistic Christian heresy, Marxism. And instead of worshiping God, the Marxists now worshiped the state, and they expected the state to guarantee them prosperity and even happiness without having to suffer the persecutions of an inquisition or the explanations uh, of a priv- or, or the exploitation from a privileged class. But they were wrong. The Marxists made their heretic state a hell on earth, ruled by fear and a secret police far more invasive and punitive than any religious inquisition or feudal serfdom. The people lost freedom of expression, of privacy, and and even freedom of thought. And yet Marxism lives on in your America as an underground movement, hiding behind labels like liberal and progressive. They are moving you toward Mr. Orwell's nightmare society. And even though Christianity was their original model, we disavow them and any connection with them. And we wish to point out that even though we share the virtue of charity with them, we were for women's rights and equality 
within the sanctity of marriage, whereas the Marxists seek to destroy the family and denigrate the institution of marriage. I invite my gracious Lady Mary to expound on this issue. Mary rose and acknowledged with a small bow. Thank you, my Lord. We should point out that Christianity in its Valentinian form, which the Roman Church suppressed and distorted, represented the truest form of feminism in our time. By extolling the sanctity of marriage and prohibiting expedient divorce, my Lord Jesus sought to protect the rights and promote the equality of women in our first century society. We believed that a man and his wife represented a reunited soul, that they and their children were a sacred and holy unit. The family was the basic unit of original Christianity. This is the one virtue from original Christianity that modern Christians still retain. The Marxists continue to attack the family in your present-day society, using the feminist and other rights movements to devalue the institution of marriage and convey the raising of the children and, and convey the raising of the children to the state. They didn't learn that from us. They may have gotten it from Plato. Adamson was beginning to understand. He had come to believe that a measure of socialism was necessary in the complex modern world with its global economy and worldwide communication network. But he had not realized that the sinister forces accompanying that measure would continue to eat away at human freedom and dignity. People behind this, Adamson asked, not all progressives and liberals are evil. I know some of them. They're good people who believe that their collectivist philosophy is fair and just. Uh, but the people pushing their agenda see that philosophy as a road to power, exploitation, and domination, Hermes replied. Well, who are they? Sociopaths. People born without the capacity for empathy. People ruled by the reptilian vestige in their brains his mentor explained. You met them and conversed with one of their ancient spiritual avatars when you passed through the Valley of the Bones, Hermes reminded him. Then this 2084 society is inevitable, Adamson asked his mentor. Hermes Trismegistus replied, we write the future in much the same way that we rewrite the past, he observed. But, there is a social phenomenon we call cultural revitalization, during which we could implement my learned colleague, Signor Machiavelli's suggestion, and return to our original principles, laws, and policies. However, to bring this about, things usually have to get worse before they get better. So the answer is probably yes, we will have 2084, but we will not like it and we will tear it down. What follows will depend on how well we learn the lessons of history. Yeah, but you and Orwell say we rewrite history, Adamson commented. Well, uh, if you are an intellectual moralist, then that perhaps is our most grievous sin, Hermes replied. Well, what can we do, Adamson asked. Well, you can go back to your middle world and write a book, the sage suggested. Well, what would I call it? How about Adamson's quest, Hermes said. And that concludes the first volume of Adamson's Quest, which we hope we can publish, um, well, we hope we can publish it uh, sometime this year. Um, 
hopefully before November. Um, and uh, there's a couple of little things I would like to add to that one that I thought after after I after I wrote it I, I thought uh, uh, and I forgot about uh, about uh, Hermes's uh, younger girlfriend Hypatia. Not that much younger, actually. She was uh, in her fifties when she. Hypatia was the uh, was the head of the library in Alexandria uh, in the third century. But yeah, that was before the last burning. While they still had uh, a lot of their uh, their original catalog, uh, and Hypatia uh, was a brilliant woman. She still uh, still has credit for uh, uh, for equ- equations about. About cones, she she had uh, she did a lot of equations on on uh, on the uh, on, on the various dimensions of cones. And uh, well, it doesn't sound important, but actually uh, in in uh, in physics and geometry, it, it does have some importance. And Hypatia, uh, um, uh, as I say, she was she was a brilliant woman. She was the uh, the daughter of Theon, uh, the, the one of the one of the great uh, professors at the at the at the library college, and uh, she was unfortunately a martyr to classical paganism. Uh, she was uh, set upon by uh, the, the, the the Christian bishop of Alexandria. Uh, sicked a bunch of crazy monks uh, from out in the desert came into town, and he he sicked them on Hypatia, and they dragged her out of her out of her uh, carriage on the way to on the way to the library and inviscerated her with oyster shells, skinned her alive, and and uh, it was pretty terrible. And uh, so what I wanted to do when I when I when I uh, yeah I want to have. Uh, Hypatia sitting next to Hermes because they have a relationship, and uh, uh, and I want her to be wearing a a pendant of a polished oyster shell, a, a polished oyster shell pendant, and and uh, we can mention and 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 in fact we we should, we should Jesus Jesus and Mary should perhaps uh, uh, notice uh, notice this, but anyway. Uh, this is to remind them. Hypatia is reminding them that, that she she was a martyr to the classical paganism, which uh, uh, and and, uh, and and was well, was uh, was originally uh, uh, executed by, by by these by these crazy monks. And so, I want I want to work that in somehow or other. So so uh, so we we know that the that, that the Christianity uh, resulted. In, and more, and more, and more things than uh, than than Marxism. Uh, so we'll, we'll, I'll figure out how to how to work that into the story. And uh, and now next week, next week we have a a, a very interesting, have a very interesting show. Uh, a a magician. Uh, who uh, a, a British magician, uh, a friend of Jake Stratton's, uh, by the name of Gordon White, is really a kindred spirit. The, the, he's not he not only a magician, but he's also he's also an underwater archaeologist, uh, and he's uh, a <laughs> and he he uh, grew up uh, on the 
banks of a river in New Guinea. And like uh, Dr. X and myself, he, he uh, was fascinated with non madole in the in Bonape and and uh, and uh, did some diving off the uh, water there and and uh, and has done uh, done a uh, he's done a video not I, I don't think it's a non madole but but uh, but uh, he. Uh, but he has he has dived off the breakwater and and uh, you know that the that off off the breakwater up non Madole is, is a sunken city uh, that was that was above the surface uh, during the ice age and uh, they call it Conamuiso and now anyway but what what uh, um, Gordon has done he's written a number of books but and and made in videos but Gordon has has taken the whole, all the evidence that we now have for this Pacific civilization that that most of us like to call Lemuria, <laughs> although he never uses that word. He's, he's actually, I mean, his whole book, Starships, uh, he never uses that word once. And neither does he use Atlantis either, although he refers to, to, uh, to, both, you know, to remains of of, of uh, that have that have recently been discovered that relate to both to both these Antediluvian civilizations, and uh, and this is a fascinating book. It's called Starships, and Goldeki Tepe in in uh, uh, in Turkey is 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 his start point. Uh, you know that that was of the recently discovered Paleolithic. City uh, or or temple complex, um, a religious center with with amazing sculpture and and uh, bas reliefs and and, and uh, uh, it 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 is twelve thousand years old. I mean, it's just incredible. And that's his start point. Uh, but uh, but he's primarily concerned with the uh, with the Pacific civilization and. Uh, uh, this is a fascinating, fascinating book. It's called Starships. Uh, that that kind of gives you the impression that, that he's that he's into the alien, uh, you know, the alien influence. But uh, no, actually, when when he's talking about starships, he's really talking about islanders uh, navigating navigating their ships, their 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 uh, by the stars, and. Uh, and that, and that in itself is an amazing thing. So next week we're going to be discussing uh, Gordon White's uh, uh, Gordon White's starships. Hopefully we will have. Uh, be, he's over in London, so it's going to. Uh, if we get him to call in, we'll have to record the show because uh, you know when we go on, it's 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 four o'clock in the morning over there. So we'll try to see if we can get him to come on. And, and and talk about uh, talk about the book, but but regardless of whether he does or not, we're going to deal with starships uh, and uh, and uh, uh, next week. So uh, and we aren't afraid to use the L word. <laughs> so tune in next week, and we will we will uh, go back out to the out to the islands and uh, and uh, way 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 back, uh, you know back. Uh, uh, 15, 20, 30,000 years ago, and, uh, and uh, we'll have a lot of very, very interesting uh, revelations for you. So until then, 
good magic, and uh, and we'll see you then. Bye.